Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an on-new episode of Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Becoming a believer in Colorado Buffalo football. I'm Nick Saveri. All right, we're going to get into that in just a second because there's a overarching question for our listeners out there. Even if you don't watch sports, stay tuned for that next segment. On the program today, Congress is back in session as the Senate returns. The House comes back on the 12th. A government shutdown is potentially looming, but not to worry, Nick, because Speaker McCarthy's focused on the big issues like, you know, impeaching President Biden. Nick and I will examine Speaker McCarthy's latest comments about a potential impeachment inquiry into the 46th president of the United States and what a government shutdown could look like and who it actually impacts. Plus, in our final segment, like we mentioned before, if you haven't heard this recent press conference from Colorado coach Deion Sanders, as he called out members of the media who picked against his team, we're going to play it for you. And we're going to try to answer the question of who's right and who is wrong in the hierarchy of calling out people that are rooting against you, or should they be rooting for you or against you? More on that later on the program. Before I say hi to Mr. Severi, new episodes of Back Your Play with Q and the Educate US podcast are out there. Q actually welcomes in on three sports college reporter Nick Costcos as they break down the Colorado win over TCU and some other college matchups that are happening out there. So check out a new episode of Back Your Play with Q over on LeonMediaNetwork.com or listen wherever you get your pods. New episode of Educate Us is out there. I know you guys had on a couple of teachers from the Bay Area out, out there in uh, Oakland, California, breaking down as, as school districts are starting to start back up. Uh, I love the episode out there. So you can go check out that new episode of Educate US or listen to it on LeonMediaNetwork.com or wherever 
you get your podcast. And also for our show, we are live now on YouTube Music. So if you've got the YouTube Music app, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast, we should pop right up. Hit the subscribe button for me. Always follow us across social media everywhere. IG, TikTok, at Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter, at Can We Please Talk now I say hello. That's a long-winded intro there. A lot of housekeeping notes. We're adding more and more stuff here, Nick. These intros are getting longer. Now I say hello to you. How you been, Mr. Severi? Long Labor Day weekend. What, what, what was going on? You guys had anything uh, planned over there? What did you guys do? I have, actually have no idea. What did you do? Yeah. Well, before getting to that, I did check out recently. For anyone who does listen to our show, and grateful that you do. The YouTube music interface, I thought, was fantastic. There are a lot of podcast platforms out there, obviously. We all have the ones that we're partial to. But when Mike texted me just to announce that we're now available through YouTube music, the interface was great. So if you're you know, a person who thinks of YouTube as download videos, if you're a premium or you know, just a regular standard streamer user, definitely play with the music app because it's fantastic. And YouTube's about to get a lot more volume coming in as NFL Sunday ticket goes to them uh, starting this coming week, actually. You know... To your question, Mike, about what we did, we were in Cape May. You know, last couple of years, we go to, we spend Labor Day weekend uh, at Cape May in New Jersey. Always a good time. I will say, though, this time, though, I ran into an interesting situation at a particular pancake house. I'm not going to name names. There are two in Cape May that people are very familiar with, one of which we had an interesting situation with. So, folks, quick story. So, now, if you don't know this about me, I have a particular ish- issue with cash-only businesses, mostly because in the 21st century, you look silly when you run a cash-only business. As the pandemic showed, you can't be cash-only. No, on. I don't care if your I don't care if your food is fire. You just can't do it. So we go there. I don't realize it's cash-only until we pull up. At this point, we're pot committed, as Mike likes to say, because there's really no other breakfast spot in you know in our locale. So we park, we go in. I'm already grumbling because cash-only in 2023 is asinine. On top of that. Have the meal. Meal's great. A tad little pricey, but that's fine. Upon leaving, now I see that there's an ATM machine in the building, which props to them, because oftentimes when you see cash only, sometimes they don't have the ATM machine, and then you got to go find one, which is already you know frustrating. But this place does. Unfortunately, though, Mike, ATM machine wasn't working. It says right in, like, you know, machine's not functioning, whatever. So I go to them and ask, so folks, where's the nearest ATM machine? The lady behind the counter says to me, oh, no worry, I can reply, I can fix that. So first off, this person has access to said ATM machine. So she rolls up with a key, opens it. But before she does, by the way, she starts pulling out a pile of money. I have all kinds of questions at this point, because is this petty cash against the restaurant? Is this petty cash that she used to fund back into the ATM machine? I don't know what's going on, but she's just ripping off 20s. She creates a stack opens up the machine, puts the money in the machine. And as she does this, one thought occurs in my head. If I see a ATM fee, because they run the machine, obviously, I'm going to be livid. And lo and behold, folks, there was a $2 fee for using the very same machine that you're forcing me to use because it's cash only. The moral of the story is to the pancake house, it's cash only. The other one is not, by the way, shout out to them. And they're actually closer to the beach. To the place that is cash only, grow up. If you want to find ways to cheat the government, do another way. But do not force me to act like it's 1975 and I got to go get cash, whatever the hell cash is these days. Shout out to places that are cashless, places that are saying, listen, it's not sanitary. And on top of that, it's not safe. You know, in terms of security purposes, 
we roll everything through plastic. This particular place wants to be cute and then also run the machine like it's Vegas. So I don't even know where to start with this. So I, I had all kinds of issues and I did not take it out of the tip, by the way. I know people are thinking about, well, did you, you know, you take it to. out against the person against you, as you were thinking? Yep. I did not. By yep. rule, I treat people well as servers. Just a rule. Mostly because there have been people I've known that happen to be of my persuasion. I'll just say it like that. That are not so good tipping. Mm-hmm. So this brown guy is a good tipper, making up, you know, for for those who are not so the much sins so this, of, the sins of your people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wait, can I real quick? Because uh, the other day I was at um, a restaurant near me, not cash only. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm total agreement with that. Uh, we will shame those those folks into becoming a. a a, a adding a card services at least take venmo like have a venmo thing set up um but the the atm point is a great point because the restaurant that i was at we had an issue with the atm somebody put in a card i think didn't get the right amount of money and they were like yeah we don't control that you'd have to call the number on the back of the atm like what do we look like the atm police and it was like oh yeah it makes sense because you're the restaurant not the atm you know like somebody else comes in there with the gun normally picks up the money from the ATM. So you're telling me they're running all that. That's a very, very, very shady establishment. When you told me, by the way, that you were going to tell this story on air, I had no idea what this was all about. And now we know that there's a shady pancake house in Cape May that we've got to try, but you've only got to bring a 20 with you though. If you have maybe 40, if you, if you got it. And if not ask, uh, I'm sure there's a Teresa that works there as Teresa and she'll probably open up the machine for you. All right. Well, I'm glad that that, that uh, worked out for you. Any, any other wild stories in Cape Mayor? Uh, <laughs> please laugh. Bring the laughs over here. Sure. It was no, I mean, other than that, I mean, Cape May is beautiful. It is an awesome, is. awesome shore town. Um, a lot of just old vintage buildings. We've had fun. You know, we started going there, you know, when our, our oldest was just a baby actually. So that was really it. I mean, we just, you know, had a good time at the beach, the pool, the beach, by the way, heavy riptides. We were not really able to go really swimming in there. We saw just, you know, riptides, cross tides, all kinds of stuff. Big old sign that said you can only go in so deep. So we mostly stayed poolside, enjoyed some of the food. I will say the restaurant associated with the place we stayed, not the best, way too overpriced. And you're paying basically for some dope, you know, with a guitar singing Jimmy Buffett songs. Rest in peace, Jimmy Rest Buffett, peace. of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, again, tons of good eateries in Cape May. We took an L on at least two of them. Yeah, that happens, you know, on a vacation. Taking it, taking two L's over the course of three days, not not the best. I, I get, I sympathize with that with two kids. So, um, for me, nothing. I've done nothing. I've been sick, as other people in my family have been sick as well. I think the trip back from DC, uh, I don't know. Maybe I brought something with us, and and now it's uh, disseminated onto the family. And as everybody knows, who has kids. When one of you get it, eventually all four of you will get it, if not all at the same time, or if just all individually, and it'll happen over a couple of weeks. So we're passing through that. We're passing through that storm. Let me tell you who's running into a storm right now. That's the federal government, Nick. Oh, what a transition. Because if we don't reach an agreement by September 30th between the Senate and the House to approve a funding bill, we will head to a government shutdown. I want to play a little bit of what the White House has said in response to what Congress needs to do. Take a listen to White House Press Secretary KJP when she was asked in late August, as you know, Congress has been 
on this recess. The Senate is back now. The House comes back a week later. I never understood why they come back a week later. You guys, you know, both kind of work together. Why are not we all coming back at the same time? That's neither here nor there. Um, and she was asked about this government shutdown and what they need to do to kind of work on this. And she answered very candidly about, hey, this is not this part of uh, the government. Uh, this is not, not this branch that you should be yelling at. You should be focusing on another branch of government. Take a listen to what she said. There's no reason. There's absolutely no reason at all for Congress to shut down the government. There isn't. And uh, this is a question for Congress to answer. Uh, they, this should not be happening. And uh, they should fund these vital, vital government programs uh, for, that the American people rely on. And uh, these are critical needs we've requested when you think about what we've requested and asked for when it comes to emergency funding, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, what we came to the table uh, for, for uh, when it comes to the budget agreement, this was a bipartisan agreement from both sides. And so there is no reason, no reason at all uh, that Congress uh, should, be, uh, should be going down the path of shutting down this government. The issue at hand is really 12 annual spending bills that the House and Senate have not agreed upon. NPR has got a great breakdown of this if, if you haven't been uh, following it at all. Um, and really the biggest issues right now are a group of House conservatives who didn't like the deal that Speaker McCarthy negotiated debt ceiling wise back in May that set the overall spending levels. And now we need to pass a short-term funding bill to avoid a shutdown on October 1st. And when they're working on a CR, for people that don't know, continuing resolution, that's going to fund a lot of core government agencies through sometime in December. But a bunch of the top priorities are right now worlds apart, uh, specifically disaster aid, money for Ukraine are two things that the Biden administration wants Congress to pass soon. Again, NPR has this great breakdown that I'm reading from the White House that asked for $12 billion for emergency money for disasters. Obviously, we all know about the wildfires in Maui. We know about uh, here in Florida, Hurricane Dahlia that just kind of ripped through uh, the western part and northern parts of the state, a little bit into Georgia as well. White House has also asked for $4 billion more, excuse me, so $12 billion for emergency money for disasters, in addition to another $4 billion because of Maui. And the two states I just mentioned that were affected by Hurricane Adalia, if you saw the president over the weekend touring the damage in Florida as uh, Governor DeSantis kind of set that up for him to be able to tour those areas. The other big ask from the administration is $20 billion for Ukraine. But obviously, we know there's a growing block of conservatives who oppose that, right? Again, this is all according to this NPR breakdown, which, which is great. You can go check it out at NPR. Dot org. There's another great article, uh, opinion piece from Max Rickman, who's an opinion contributor over at the Hill, talks really about the, the core agencies that will be affected by this Social Security Administration. Um, they already go through severe underfunding by Congress. And in 2017, when we were heading towards something like this, over 10,000 people died awaiting adjudication of their SSDI claims because of a government shutdown. So this is a core, again, this is a number according to this opinion piece in the Hill. So there's actual consequences when you go through a government shutdown and, and uh, core services that people rely on on a daily, weekly, monthly basis are shut down. You get things like that. You get an actual number that came out of this. Um, 
Nick, some of the funding stuff that I just mentioned there from the NPR article, um, a little bit of what you heard from the White House Press Secretary KJP say there. Um, break this down for our audience here. What are some of the things that are standing out with you? It feels like last time we had this conversation, this was in May. Here we are again. And these are all short-term bills that are being passed, right? Uh, we've got a faction, as we know, that that's holding McCarthy to one mistake, dog, and you're out of here. And they're holding them to it. And this is something that they're prepared to uh, kind of die on this proverbial hill. What do you make of of all of this with the government shutdown potentially looming at the end of this month? You know, first, Mike, I appreciate your pointing out the, the very real human cost to this, as the example from the hill was mentioned. You know, there was a piece. Re- there was a piece recently for, on CNN. You know, this is from you know, Manu and Melanie Zanona. And one of the things that the piece brings up is that you know from a political standpoint you know this far right fringe is really on its own that congressman mccarthy knows that on the senate in matters of ukrainian spending senate minority leader mitch mcconnell obviously who we have all thought about recently as his second um we're not quite sure what to call what happened but we all saw it though recently in video the senate republicans are very much in favor of continuing to fund the efforts in Ukraine to stay to stave off the Russian invasion. But you have some House Republicans similar to House Democrats, like a fringe group that really wants to draw their line in the sand. We've seen this previ- previously where there's conversations about withholding spending or criticizing spending, things that normally should go through. But you have a fringe member, particularly in the House, that threatens it. You know, as f- one thing that came up in the article was that you know, Congress, Congressman McCarthy, and I actually agree with him on this. And I obviously, we all know where I stand politically, but on this one, I understand where he's coming from. The White House put forward their hopes for this budget to pass and mentioned some of the things that would be factored in. And the congressman rightfully brought up the fact that he was a little, you know, perturbed by the fact that this was made public before there was a conversation. And the political move behind that is simply, and this is just my editorializing, McCarthy knows this has to pass that it's a losing argument to shut down the government, especially when the most vocal people who want to do it are in his party. This isn't a case of Republicans, Democrats that just fail to work together and then the government shuts down. This is very much just House Republicans being obstructionist. And he's aware of it. And he knows he does not have that same level of support in the Senate, which is very telling right now. The Republican Party is not as united as we usually give them credit for, specifically with the Freedom Caucus in the House. At the same time, though, there's this delicate balance that you strike about trying to get this money through. And the larger conversation here, though, is you know we're going through these small periods of getting these things passed. And it's kind of this funny thing of like, if we're going to keep doing these short periods of funding things, when is the opportunity to actually meaningfully say, can we pass something over the next couple of years, at least within a given cycle of Congress? Because obviously 2024 seats may change in both the House and Senate. So I don't think anyone's going to be necessarily comfortable getting something passed that could completely be overturned in an election. But in the interim, there should be able to have something going on. Um, you know, on the subject of Ukraine, I did want to bring up some important information. This is from the Council of Public Council of Foreign Affairs, really helpful website that I was using to get a sense. Um, you know, in terms of US aid to Ukraine, you're currently it stands at about 70, about $76 billion. You know, and this is as of May 31st of this year. Now, in relation to that, we are far and away 
the country that has given the most to the effort. And that's a combination of military, financial, and humanitarian efforts. Most of the money, however, is of course, you know, military-based to the tune of about $42, million, $42 billion. Underneath that, however, financial support is mostly coming from the EU. And then underneath that, you've got military aid coming from the United Kingdom, from Germany, a little bit from Poland and the Netherlands. And then it's like very much a sort of shriveling down. Now, that's in terms of total amount. Now, for those of you who are fans of statistics like Mike and I are for different reasons, that's not necessarily telling you the same story. Because at the same time, if you say to yourself, well, if the U.S. is giving so much money, where the heck is Europe? It's a fair question. But understand that on the same website, in terms of by share of GDP, by percentage, understand that the United States has one of the largest GDPs, gross domestic product in the world. But by comparison, in terms of its percentage, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland round out the top four. And those are mostly based on military spending. The reason I bring all this up is that you know, when we think about and what we think the House Republicans are trying to, this fringe group, you know, those like Marjorie Taylor Greene and folks like that, when they make the argument that we're giving too much money to Ukraine, it's a relative concept. But it really comes down to as voters, you know, where do you stand on this? You know, right now we're not in an election year. In 2024, if this is something that is really offensive to you or something you really stand on, then it's a really good reason to vote. But, you know, where McCarthy stands, you know, I don't necessarily have sympathy for him because I think he's courted a really factious group of people. But I do understand the count that counterbalance you have to strike when you do not have complete party unification, because I don't think Kevin McCarthy and Senate Minority Leader McConnell necessarily on agree on a lot of things. And this funding for the spending bill, should it fall through, will live entirely at the feet of House Republicans if this fails. Yeah, he's definitely not no Speaker of House John Boehner, I would say that. Uh, shout out to my buddy Stephen Moore. He's a former congressional chief of staff, and now he runs uh, the Ukraine Freedom Project. And he posted something recently. He had a debate with uh, Victoria Coates from the Heritage Foundation on TVP World Tonight. And his big point was about the money we're spending, which you just said. Um, it's about 3% of the annual spending of the Defense Department. And for that amount of money, Ukrainians have really pushed back on a lot of uh, of Putin's aggression here. They control 87% of their territory. And again, according to all reports, not one US soldier has had to pull a trigger or take a bullet for this. Again, these are not troops that the US has actually sent there. Now, other folks have gone there that are U.S. folks that wanted to help to fight and actually be ground troops. And we know of a few folks that have lost their life in this battle. But 3% of the annual spending of the Department of Defense is on Ukraine. So I want people to know that just in the interest of, like Nick said, uh, we're big numbers, guys. So let's get into the other thing that's happening in the House uh, as we're coming back from recess and the House returns next week, Nick. And this is this impeachment inquiry that Kevin McCarthy is trying to, again, tamp down the talks of impeachment on his side uh, of the aisle because Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert and the like, uh, all as part of this Freedom Caucus, all want an impeachment inquiry to be done or at least a resolution to impeach President Biden. Uh, um, <clears throat> very soon, they would like it. And the issue is going to be, again, like you said, we're not an election year, but in 2024, when we get into an election year, moderate House Republicans and moderates in the Republican Party and independents 
will remember uh, this lasting uh, trying to impeach Joe Biden for not actually doing anything. There's nothing that has been impeachable in terms of an offense so far. Um, and they keep pointing to certain things uh, with respect to the investigation into his son, uh, Hunter Biden. Um, <clears throat> House Republicans haven't uncovered any evidence of wrongdoing by the president. There's alleged corruption related to Hunter Biden, the business dealings. Nothing has been produced that's tangible. Take a listen to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about a week or so ago on Fox Business with Larry Kudlow as he was asked about this and this impeachment inquiry and what he makes of it. And could we see something in September on it? Take a listen. If the Biden administration continues to fight to withhold information that could really clear all this up, did they take bribes? Did they deal in the business? If they hold that up, we would have to move to an impeachment inquiry, which you know, Larry, gives the apex of power to Congress when it comes to our subpoena power and others to get the documents we need, the bank statements, the credit card statements and others. Show us where the money went. Show us where you taking money from outside sources. And uh, that would clear most of this up. But they seem to fight it every step of the way. The issue I have with everything he just said there, and again, I haven't been, I've been following more of the Hunter Biden stuff. I have not been following conspiratorial stuff about President Biden and, you know, trying to connect these, these dots that are not even on uh, the same book, let alone the same page. Um, and I can't do it, right? Because I, I don't want to live in that uh, conspiracy world. You want to live in that tons of content out there for you to live in that world. But um, the issue I have, and I haven't been following it, like I said, is there's no smoking gun. Every time one of these interviews with either Representative James Comer or Byron Donalds, who's a representative down here in Florida, when they're asked about this, everything is something that is, you know, kind of adjacent to or could be perceived as, but it's not directly. You know, in the court of law, there's direct evidence and there's circumstantial evidence, right? I've said this before, uh, the bullet from the gun, you find that, right? Or the bullet that went through the person's body. There's the direct evidence, right? We found the gun, we found the bullet. Circumstantial stuff is, I happened to be there a few hours earlier, you know, something like that, right? I'm making up the scenario, but you get the overall point. Um, you don't have me on video actually pulling the trigger. And right now, there isn't anything like that in terms of President Biden and the dealings. Again, this is all when he was vice president, not currently. This is all as vice president that they keep pointing to. So again, not even this current administration. This is back when he was in, in the Obama administration. And the issue is going to be, you just mentioned it before, going into a voting year next year, Representative Don Bacon from Nebraska. This is a quote from him in the USA Today article. I wholeheartedly embrace investigating, but I just don't know if there's a lot of fire when it comes to Joe Biden himself. Sure is a lot of smoke but you haven't proven a fire. That's that's a House Republican saying that. Nancy Mace from South Carolina has also been very vocal. We know she loves doing every TV interview. And by the way, we've invited her on the program. Interest of full disclosure. But she said, every time we walk the plank, we are putting moderate members, members that won Biden districts, we're putting those seats at risk for 2024. We are putting the majority at risk. Now, Kevin Wagner is a political science professor over at Florida Atlantic. By the way, go check out this great piece on USA Today about the Biden impeachment inquiry. Um, and so they asked this professor, Kevin Wagner, political science professor, about you know the impact of this. And he said it could be mixed. You could likely rally the base. You may increase partisan turnout. 
But again, it can also alienate moderate independents and Democrats. It will hurt Republicans running in more moderate districts and maximize votes in areas that they are likely to win. But the crossover votes are important in general elections. I said that on TV a week ago or so about a different issue, if you recall. Boy, it's almost as if you know what I'm talking about, Nick. Anyway, what do you make of President Biden? I mean, I, I, I joke about this, but I feel like the last few times that I have been on television, this keeps coming up because the, the song and dance around should we open up an impeachment inquiry is is so fast and loose for a guy. Again, we can argue about President Biden's policies. I'm happy to do that. He hasn't committed any crimes. He hasn't done anything. <laughs> he hasn't done anything at all that could be impeachable so far. He has not done anything. I mean, if you if you wanted to really use the Afghanistan withdrawal, which is probably the biggest stain that cost 13 U.S. Marines their lives, and you know him him you know being so forceful and saying that we've got this all wrapped up and Afghanistan's going to stand on its own, and then two weeks later the president is uh, of Afghanistan's on a helicopter out of there and the Taliban take it over, and then obviously what happens at the, at the airport in Kabul, we want to use that. Okay, that was almost two years ago. We should have used that back then. Now here we are. There's nothing to impeach Joe Biden on, folks. What are we doing here? We're going to waste taxpayer dollars into an impeachment inquiry. What do you make of not only what McCarthy said on television now on Fox Business, but some of this other stuff around it as we're trying to prioritize government spending, programs that people need, and in the backdrop, we're trying to impeach him president that there's nothing to impeach him on. Yeah, I think it's a damning indictment that the the Biden administration has been successful. And I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the Afghanistan situation is is a major call for concern and it's a major strike against this administration. But if the best you can do is to try to you know, gin up an impeachment inquiry, that means it's telling me that you're not paying attention politically enough to what real arguments you can make. They're all peripheral when he was vice president, his son, all this stuff. And I, a couple of weeks, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. I remember, you know, getting, you know, one of our clips we put out there, I equated or tried or did not equate, you know, what the president, you know, former president Trump, Trump had done as, you know, current president Biden, vice president Pence, Hillary Clinton, all these folks, and all the trolls came out and said, well, it's the same thing, the emails and all that stuff. And that's the same nonsense we're seeing now. The only difference is that this is being funded by taxpayer dollars. And so I agree with you. Like, this is a colossal waste of money. On top of that, in the article I mentioned earlier from CNN, you know, there's a portion of it that talks about the fact that Kevin McCarthy is actually using the impeachment inquiry as a reason to keep funding the government. If you do go to a shutdown, well, there goes your inquiry because we can't proceed with that. It's a ridiculous argument, and it kind of makes my head hurt hearing that. But I understand Sometimes when you're dealing with people who are not all there, you have to provide the most not all there arguments. So, I, yeah, there's never been a smoking gun in this case. I, I, there's never been brought up. You know, when we had the impeachment hearings for the former president, you know, we've had meetings, right? Like there was an infamous meeting in terms of potentially whatever Russia dealings there were, right? That Paul Manafort was a part of and all this stuff. Obviously, the president was there along with his son. There was a conversation that took place. It's the whole crux of the Mueller investigation. So with the former president, there were examples of situations that you can call into question. In the case of President Biden, this is a, a very weak and arguably pathetic attempt at a tit for tat. And for the minority party, 
at least in the Senate. Well, let's talk about the Senate for a second. This is, again, House Republicans. This gets kicked up to the Senate. First off, they're not going to win because they don't have the votes in the Senate. But also, do you imagine those moderate voters that Congresswoman Mace was talking about, both in the House and Senate as Republicans, that want to vote, that want to run on that issue, that have to deal with that in town hall meetings, those who show up to town hall meetings, they don't want to deal with it. They want to move on. They see the argument to potentially win the election in 2024. And it's not based on an impeachment of Joe Biden, a failed one, by the way, because you won't have the Senate to move forward with it. What's been interesting about this conversation today, Mike, is that we've talked about between the budget, the impeachment proceeding or the inquiry. And what we keep coming back to is there is a fracturing within the Republican Party. And I can't stress to you listeners enough how rare that has been historically. But what we see in this far right conservative movement is a, essentially just a lunatic version of a far right, not version of it is the far right. That's not in any touch with reality, with what even moderate Republicans are willing to agree to. Go back to the debate recently and what we heard from Nikki Haley. There is a voice of reason. Again, I don't agree with Haley or anyone on the on the dais that night, but there is a voice of reason to be understood within the Republican Party. But unfortunately, between a potential shutdown, between a potential in, impeaching inquiry, you're still catering to the voices of really the minority. These are not the majority Republicans that are doing this. These are the Marjorie Taylor Greens. These are the Louis Gomers. These are the Lauren Boberts, the people who have really nothing to pin their congressional resumes against. Truly nothing. Nothing that they've gotten through on Congress, as opposed to someone like you know, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez in New York, who can say that she's actually been a part of some pretty successful legislation. These, through, these three bozos, this is all they do. They just chase the tail of the president constantly, because when you have nothing of substance to actually run on, what you do is play the conspiracy game. We'll find out as the coming months uh, develop here, about not only the government shutdown, we're going to have a few folks analyzing that as we get closer to this October 1st deadline, but then obviously the impeachment inquiry, if anything picks up with that, we'll be covering that as well. When we come back after the break, should you be rooting against or for somebody if you are covering them? That's the question. We're going to respond on the other side of the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. 
How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary is putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how Fresh Roasted Coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Interesting introduction. Folks, I'm a huge fan, as you all know, of Fresh Roasted Coffee, primarily for the simple fact about diversity. If you're a tea person, they've got you covered. If you're a coffee person, they got you covered too. Mike and I take our coffee very differently. Mike is a Keurig man that is efficient, that is tasty. That's the way to go. I am a French press person. Nowadays, I actually grind my own beans. So when I get my batch of fresh roasted coffee, it goes right into the grinder, then to the French press, boiled water, let's go. But in either case, our cup of coffee comes out delicious, mostly because they ask you at the jump, what's just tell us about you simple quiz they'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with and that's the way to go and then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again regardless of how you do it no that's exactly right you can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com and in the show notes page right now of this episode hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order, enter in the promo code, can we please get 20 for 20% off your first purchase. I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, over the long weekend, college football is back for those of you that don't watch sports don't worry we're not going to get too much into the sports aspect of this but we are going to get into the aspect of where it crosses over into everyday news because the biggest story that came out of college football was former all pro hall of famer in the nfl Deion sanders he took over the head coaching job at the university of colorado he came from a, you know, a smaller school, a historical black college that he was coaching at in Jackson State. He had some success down there. And then he left after three years and took this job at the University of Colorado. He had a huge press conference that happened uh, earlier in the year. And he was telling the kids on the team, because Colorado has not been good over the last few years, including winning only one game last year. He told the team in the first meeting, if you don't want to be here, pack your bags and get out because I'm bringing my luggage with me. And it's Louie, a huge quote that played all throughout social media. And he overturned the roster, brought in 68 to 69 new players on the roster as people transferred out and people transferred in. He even brought in his three sons, one who was a quarterback at Jackson State. The other one was a safety. He brought all of them to come to Colorado and they went through training camp. And they play the first game of the year against a team that played last year for the national championship in TCU. They're underdogs by 21 points and they go out there and win the game. Now, why am I mentioning this story? Why am I mentioning just a normal college football road win by Colorado over TCU? 
it's mainly because Deion Sanders is a bigger than life figure, obviously, as a multi-sport star. But it's what happened in the press conference afterwards, the exchange that Dion had with a reporter, Ed Water, formerly of ESPN, who used to cover him back in the day when he was a member of the Dallas Cowboys. They had this kind of heated exchange going back and forth a little bit as Dion started to call out members of the media that he recalled writing articles this past offseason about his brash style, how he had the first interaction in the conference and how these folks, uh, at least the team, wasn't going to gravitate to him and they were going to have a terrible season. And here he comes out on a nationally televised noon game on, on Fox television and goes out there and beats the team that played for a national championship. He asked Ed Water in the exchange, do you believe? I want to play the full clip here and we're going to react and answer the overarching question of, should somebody be rooting for you or against you if they're covering you? Take a listen to what Dion said to Ed Water in the post-game press conference. What's up, boss? You believe now? You, you, hold on, hold on, hold on, oh no. Do you believe now? Huh? Oh no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote. I, I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh no, come on. Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next question. Besides the funny exchange there of you don't believe, uh, and we're going to get again into the overarching question because the reason I wanted to talk about it was it got me thinking of the way our politicians are covered in the media. Everyone associates certain channels with being fairer to Democrats, i.e. MSNBC, and certain channels being fair to Republicans, i.e. Fox News. Hell, I know I was in the green room the other day, as Nick knows, with a member of Congress on the Republican side of the aisle who was going on Fox News later on. So everyone has this perception that you're going to get treated better this way versus that way if you go to this other network. Well, here we have a reporter that's just covering the game at a national level, and Dion is calling people out that he thinks I've been rooting against him and the success of his players and his program. We're going to get into all that in a second. But I wanted to mention about the news and politics space because there's been times where President Biden has had exchanges with reporters and something similar has played out. Did you pay attention to this? Did you pay attention to that? Are you covering me fairly? Take a listen to President Biden and an exchange he had with a reporter a few months ago when she asked him about Pre uh, Speaker McCarthy's bill, proposed bill, in time for this budget funding. Take a listen. McCarthy said that he asked you numerous times if there was anywhere in the federal budget for cuts, but he did not get an answer. So is there I got anything? a specific answer. I got a specific answer again today. Which is what? The first, I, you didn't listen either, so why should I even answer the question? I, we cut the deficit by $160 billion. Billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, dollars on the Medicare deal. We cut the deficit by raising the tax on people making uh, 55 corporations that made $40 billion to 15 percent, and the list goes on. So, but in terms of what he is proposing, is there any room for negotiation? What's he proposing? Did he tell you? Well, Did he, you he talked about no, 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 I'm not being facetious. Did he tell you what he's proposing? He, he was talking about the bill. Yeah, but what, 
What does it propose? Do you know? I'm not being a wise guy. You all are very, very informed people. Do you know what that bill cuts? There is a long list of things that it, it cuts. That no, no, it doesn't say. It says, does it say what it's going to cut? Or just say generically it's going to cut? You get the problem. So you hear there in the exchange where President Biden's like, hey, for lack of a better term, you didn't do your homework. You're asking me a question about something. You didn't even read it because it isn't there. It doesn't exist. And it got me thinking, it's just these parallels of beat reporters not only in news, but also in sports that are trying to cover the subject matter. And sometimes their opinion gets into the reporting, which they're not supposed to do unless you want to be an opinion columnist. And Dion took it out on somebody who was writing an opinion column or at least giving his opinion on television about how Colorado will perform. So it got me thinking of this hierarchy question of, should I be rooting for you to be successful if I'm covering you, or should I be rooting for you to fail? And the purpose of journalism is not to root for any of that, either in news or sports. We're not rooting for the president of the United States. No, we shouldn't be rooting for the president of the United States to fail, as Peter Jennings once, excuse me, as, uh, yeah, Peter Jennings. No, Ted Koppel, excuse me, once said to Sean Hannity, the problem that I have with you is you're not doing journalism. You're giving your opinion. So now people are holding you more to that opinion, not the journalistic part of this, where you're just supposed to tell me the information. And I think Dion is right to go after some of these folks that said his team wasn't going to do anything and they were going to get trounced in this opener and they didn't like what he was doing. I wanted to open this up to you, Nick. And by the way, for folks, email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast at gmail.com because I would love to get more people's feedback and really have a conversation about Journalist covering subject matters, right? You try to cozy up to the subject matter so you can get information, so you can put it out there in articles. But then the problem becomes if you write something that's perceived negative by them, you get their ire or the people that are fans of theirs. If you write something positive, you're too much of a homer. Where does that fine line exist for both news and sports? When you heard the exchange at the press conference uh, over the weekend with Deion Sanders, and obviously, theatrics aside, sports results and, you know, where Colorado stands in the college football playoff, nobody cares about that. That's not, that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is, should I be rooting for you to be successful as a Colorado beat reporter, right, because I'm covering the team? The answer should be no. But what says Mr. Severi? Well, I, I, I would say yes, but you can't be obvious about it. Um, you know, the example I always think about is, you know, look at, look at Miami, like look at where you are, right. You know, 2010 LeBron goes to Miami and the NBA landscape suddenly became focused on South beach. So every beat reporter there, I mean, ESPN had a, what was called a heat index, which was so irritating because even ESPN obviously was, was hoping for some level of success from Miami success, but also some level of failure too. And so you always hope for the drama, but you hope for success. If you are a beat reporter in you know the city of Miami at the time, you obviously want that. If it's a colossal failure and LeBron leaves or Bosch or Dwayne Wade or whomever, well, there goes your attention because you're not a city that people in, in sports have really cared about. I mean, no offense, but that's just that's being honest. So. In the case of you know Colorado, yeah, it's a playful exchange, but Dion just simply kept receipts. 
I mean, that's all that was. And he, he rightfully called out someone that said, you said, you know, you wrote something, said something, you know, the other day, this earlier today, I was listening to a podcast, you know, they go through betting lines and stuff, you know, for the upcoming week and the, the host uh, whose name I will not mention, but he's a prominent, you know, figure in Boston sports writing or sports blogging talked about the upcoming, upcoming Raiders Broncos game. Broncos are given four. And he says that, you know, I don't like the Raiders. And he said a couple other negative things. Mike, if I were the head coach of the Raiders and we win that game on Sunday, I absolutely, if I had a chance and this person was at the press conference, if he asked me a question, you don't think I wouldn't stop and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. do you like us now? Do you like us now? So wait, I, let, let me get to this. When does receipt sharing get out of control? Because if they lose this again, without getting too much into the sports weeds, if you don't follow sports, you can easily follow this analogy. Okay, they they play 12 games a year. They play a game this coming weekend. Okay, if they lose this game this weekend and this same reporter wrote something as his prediction column, just like you said, and picks Nebraska to win. Can he go up there and now say, hey, I had you guys losing this game and now you lost. Uh, Do you believe now in my columns? Like, where does this do you believe I've got receipts kind of end. And again, and I know you're going to get into the Biden point, but it's kind of the same thing there. If that reporter had been like, this is what the bill outlines. And President Biden doesn't know that Kevin McCarthy had that because McCarthy gave that to her. Like, where does this receipts (laughs) sharing end? Because we could be at conferences for forever. The point of journalism is to just hold people accountable. And then when you're writing articles, present those facts for people to judge off of, not to give me your opinion, to lay out and present for me the facts of the story that you're covering, depending upon what kind of piece you're writing. If you're writing a piece that's covering the the battle between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy right now over the debt ceiling, which was what that press conference was about, okay, give me the particulars of where they are, right? Get, and like he said, what is what's in the bill? You don't even know. So because it's not real, this whole receipt thing could go back and forth for forever. Where does it stop? Yeah, I think it's a matter of, well, two different scenarios, because in the case of of the president, you know, simply asking a reporter just, hey, what's in that bill that you can bring to me about what cuts are there? And it's something I've been critical of Republicans forever is you can cut whatever you want. But like, what is your actual plan? I don't have any. But the reporters simply bring up, well, this is what, you know, Speaker McCarthy said to me, which is a I would consider not the best form of journalism, like read the information, see what's there. And if there isn't anything, then don't ask the question. Your larger what you're bringing up here is where, you know, in terms of keeping receipts, where does this end? Because we could be doing this cycle forever. And it is performative. You know, what Dion is doing, and this is what he did, Jackson State, this is what he's always done, is. You know, he's a he's a performative person. Like this is what he's going to do. It's a way of building culture. It's a way of having the back of his players. Because when you do something like that, and you, you know, it's fun. Funny enough, by the way, if you all are looking for Colorado gear, which more and more people are actually, there's all kinds of stuff that's branded against the coach, which is fascinating. But the point is, there's a culture being built, and what you just saw there was someone who's backing his team. No different than the president backing the Democratic Party. When you say, "Listen, the Republicans have no plan." Because what you just saw was a proxy 
conversation with what the president should probably be having with the speaker. But the reporter got in the middle of it because she chose to ask the question. Wouldn't out enough information to have a fair retort back. You know, what Dion's doing at Warder there is just simply calling it out. I mean, where does this end? It's a really good question, because if they do lose against Nebraska, you know, do you get to bring it up? And that's where the, the job of the report gets shifted, because if you are the one that comes forward and says, you know, Coach Prime, I had you all losing. Is there something is should I, my belief be changed? Unfortunately, the realities of the job is you'll lose the job. That's going to happen. The assistant, the athletic director of Colorado, Coach Dion says someone's going to make sure you don't get to continue focusing on the team, because in that moment, the idea of receipts carrying is given as a privilege to the person who's being interviewed. That's kind of what this is, because that person is under the spotlight. They get to say that. Should they say that? Probably not. But in both in both you know, Deion Sanders' case and the president. And by the way, go find a show that will draw the parallel between Deion Sanders and Joe Biden. You won't find one. That's why you come here. You won't. You you won't. In both cases, the person being asked the subject of the conversation is going to pull receipts. It doesn't work the other way. Should it work the other way? Maybe. But oftentimes, the only time it does seems to be is in the form of a political debate where a moderate can bring up you know, what has been said in the past or play a clip or something, or even a show like this, when we, you know, play clips and, and talk about it, not necessarily with the subject. And that's, that's, I mean, it's it ultimately, it's not fair, but that is kind of what happens in that type of relationship. We leave it there. Uh, like I said, email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. I'm interested to hear from folks about this because, it's an age-old question. You always see people getting into it with reporters. Should you be rooting for the subject matter that you're covering? The answer is no. So it's a rhetorical question, but I would love to hear people's feedback. Email us, podcast at gmail.com. Video portions of every interview or some of the segments that we've done on this show live over on our YouTube channel. YouTube channel, excuse me. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hit the subscribe button for me. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now. You got Google, Good Pods. Apple, Spotify, now YouTube Music. Download that YouTube Music app. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hit subscribe. Amazon Music, too, as well, if you want to listen to our show. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. We can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program each and every week. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And taking Colorado with the money line this weekend, obviously. I'm Nick Zaveri. We'll see everybody next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.